Thank you for joining us. This is Paul Wilson. And Chris Emke. And you're listening to the Diesel Performance Podcast. Chris, I want to kick off today's show with talking about uh, WC Fab's latest video. Have you seen it? The 68 Suburban with the on the LBZ Duramax? I saw pictures. I didn't see the video. You didn't watch it? It's, no. it's pretty short. It's a great episode one. They're doing a body swap. Uh, Ryan Worley is on there a lot talking about, yeah, this will be easier than my truck because we've already done my truck. Right. Which I of lo- course, I Ryan. Love. It's all easy <laughs> when you're fucking Ryan Worley. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, Dude, they're, they're shortening the frame on the Duramax, or sorry, on the Silverado. Yep. Shortening the frame, doing custom body mounts, doing a body swap over. I will be following this build very closely. Yeah, I mean, you definitely like, you know, old school Suburbans. This is my jam, this for real. Is, yeah. Barn doors, yeah. It's, it's I just nasty, think about dude. the old school Tahoe you used to have. Oh, that that, that wasn't gem? the 60s, but. That beautiful gem? Well, this beautiful is a, teal yeah, gem. Yeah, 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 yeah. Pretty much same thing. Yeah, dark green, forest green, <laughs> motherfucker. Uh, and that awesome 6.5 that was in there. Uh, love my 350 diesel. Uh, anyways, anyways, okay. yeah. Great video. Really, really impressed. Uh, WC Fab sponsors are from Facebook segment. We're actually working on a new production where we're, we're trying to bring Jason onto the show yeah. uh, to read off some of his Q&A stuff for the uh, from Facebook. If you guys got questions about your diesel trucks, primarily your Duramax and your Cummins, jump on WC Fab or Worley Custom Fabrications Facebook page. Shoot them a message. Post on their page. Ask him something. Let him know you heard about it from the podcast. Uh, he'll be happy to answer to you personally, yeah. which would be really cool. Uh, next thing on the agenda today, Chris, DuramaxTuner.com, Diesel Insights, data logging your diesel. Uh, I love I love helping guys through data logs and data logging buddies' trucks and then having to explain those data logs. So I think this is going to really help some guys out and better understanding what the hell it is you're data logging and what that looks like. Yeah, so for listeners who are newer to diesel, uh, data logging is just basically us recording all of the engine parameters that we can. And what that means is that the ECM is demanding, right, or asking the truck to do something. So the ECM sends requests to the injection pump, to the injector, uh, timing tables, boost tables, all these different you know variables of the engine. And then if the truck is healthy, and there's no issue, the truck is going to respond within reason to what the ECM is demanding. So what the data log is showing is a demand versus an actual. And then there's a number that you're able to compare to to see, does the truck cooperate with what the ECM, or in our scenario, the tune, is asking for? Yeah. And even on trucks that aren't tuned or aren't highly modified, data logging can be pretty effective uh, as you're trying to diagnose more complex issues. Yes. Hey, listen, if you're got an LB7 with 150,000 miles and it's got the stock injectors and there's a haze at idle I don't and want you, you have fuel in the oil, I don't no want you data, data log logging necessary. It. Nope. I, right. I'm not going to walk you through a data log. I don't want to deal with the yeah. data log. You have bad injectors. Replace them. <laughs> the writing's on the wall, guys. You're not... You, you're not the exception. If your speedo's off and you're and you're yeah. 60 miles an hour on the dash, but 70 miles an hour on your data GPS, log isn't going to fix it. You already diagnosed that one too. Okay. <laughs> now, on the other hand, if your truck is laggy and smoky, and your fuel mileage is in the shitter, and you you just don't feel like there's any difference from tune one to tune five, which that, should be a hundred horsepower spread. I think of five variables right then and there. Data log's going to come in handy. Right. See, so so there are things that data logging can help you with. Now, EFI Live is the tool we primarily use for data for logging. Those trucks, yeah. Although there are others, we've used MM3 to data log some of the Cummins. Yep. I don't know how much our guys love to review Easy those. Easy link logs. for the newer platforms as well. Yep. I mean, realistically, the custom tuning platforms are going to get you there, whether it's HP tuners and your your trucks, you know, you're supported with that. MM3, 
EasyLink, EFI Live. For us over at Calibrated Duramax Tuner, EFI Live seems to be that staple because that's the software that we tune the most platforms off of. Yeah, exactly. Know. But the exactly. reference is still there. The data logging is still within reason, similar across all platforms. So Absolutely. So really cool stuff there. Um, I'm doing something a little bit different, Chris, for today's XRG do's and don'ts. Oh, yeah. I had this throwback thought to something you had said on the show a few episodes ago. Okay. Um, when we were talking about your fuel gelling. Okay. And you're like, I'm going to throw kerosene in it. Am right. I right? Yeah, no, no. I, I, okay. what I, I think what I said was, hold on, in my defense, I said, I was recommended to do this. I might try it, which, by the way, I never did. I filled the truck up, and I drove the motherfucker, and I haven't gelled yet. Fair enough. Okay, you did say on the show that, that you had heard about it. You said after the show you were definitely going to do it. I, I, I realized you didn't do it. No, but I'm lazy. I came across this great article in Diesel Power Magazine called 11 Myths Busted. It's all the way back from March of 2013. Uh, subtitled Clearing Up Diesel Misinformation. Yeah. Chris, can you read number six? <clears throat> Kerosene is a good way to keep fuel from gelling. Response, wrong. It can help, but it will require adding more than just a couple quarts to your tank to make any difference. For instance, a minimum blend of 30% kerosene, 70% diesel is needed to reduce your fuel's pour, sorry, pour point by just 15 degrees. As you can imagine, uh, this will get expensive fast. Not only that kerosene doesn't help much in preventing fuel line freeze-ups, it lowers uh, cetane rating in your diesel fuel. Less BTUs means less energy and lower fuel economy. And it decreases the lubricity. Uh, if you want to keep your fuel from gelling up, look up additives uh, specifically formulated to reduce gelling, such as Power Source, uh, Power Service Diesel 911, uh, or Diesel Recovery from Amsoil. I, I don't endorse either one of those products uh, no. personally because I haven't had much luck with 911. Yeah. And I don't even know if you can still get diesel recovery. Yeah. Um, one thing I want to touch on, and I brought this up before. So the, a gentleman that uh, I grew up with years ago, he grew up and went to the high school in the next town over from me. Um, but, you know, casual Sunday fun day, you know, I'm at a bar and I run into him and good dude. And we were talking, he works for an oil company, right? And yeah. he works where they actually blend the summer blends and the winter blends. Oh, okay. So he was like telling me about what actually goes into, you know, in the Midwest here, Northern Illinois, Southern Wisconsin, what goes into that blended fuel. Yeah, okay. there's so much chemistry. There is, there is a lot. Touch it. Yeah, and the different stations that are in the area, uh, different stations could have different fuel sources generally, which are going to have different additives in that fuel, right? So. Um, now, like I've, I've been very vocal on the podcast before, I've never added additive. I've never believed in additive. It's something that I've never used. I've had diesels for 12, 13 years now. Yeah. Okay. And yes, this past winter, right, about a month and a month ago, uh, we were experiencing negative 45 degree days. Literally within a week, it went from negative 45 to plus 45. We had almost a hundred degree swing within four or five days. Yeah. Right. And yes, one of those days I did have my fuel gel up. Well, I also started going to a different fuel station, which just so happened to be a tad cheaper than anywhere else on that block, hmm. right? And it's on my way to work, right? Just yeah. It made sense. It wasn't just because it was cheap. It was convenient because it was right there. I got it. I didn't have to pull off of many other roads. So 
when the truck started acting up, now there were other guys that I work with here that have diesels and they didn't have any issues. And I'm the one that's sitting here having an issue and I've never had an issue. I have the newest truck of anything that I've ever owned with the lowest mileage of anything that I've ever owned and I'm having more issues than anything that I've ever owned. <laughs> it's like, what the hell, right? So have we had any negative 40 degree, de degree days since? No, but we have had negative 10, negative 15. Um, and I haven't had any issues, but I did flip it. I am going to a different fuel station altogether. Uh, haven't added any additive. I've ran all that fuel out of the tank. So I do believe that it was some watered down contaminated fuel of some sort that caused that. Let me ask you something else. Uh, actually, our lead tech brought it up. Have you changed your fuel filter since your since your fuel jolt? Yeah. So um, I am like the one thing that I don't ever mess around with is, um, is is servicing the truck. So my my oil changes are anywhere from five to fifty five hundred miles, um, but that's like every three months. You yeah. know, I put that miles on the tr those miles on the truck and my fuel filter. So I have a fast 165 titanium on there and I do my water separator and fuel filter every other oil change, um, which is solid. That's, that's a solid that, maintenance schedule. That fuel filter and water separator in which the truck gelled under only had maybe 6000 miles on it. So the minute that that happened, the truck thought out swapped filters. Let me say this. Um, I actually got into a long debate with him about this. Okay. And, and a long debate with him meant it, it was like all of four minutes because I think yeah, he said so six so, words. Yeah, he's so soft-spoken and he looks at you and like he also dumb. And he also just doesn't care to no. listen to my nonsense. Just, yeah, so, no one does, Paul. <laughs> like, dude, come on, man. You know this. I'm so surprised anyways, your here, wife deals with here's you. Here's my point. Here's my point. Um, your fuel gels is like water turning into ice. It, it's a reaction to the temperature right there's no chemical change mm -hmm. so if the only thing that happens is your fuel got cold and it gelled once it thaws and completely thaws yeah. it's going to revert back to fluid right why are you changing the filter no and i mean i, I the never... only thing i could say that could happen is if the wax got so hard that it expanded and broke the filter. Right. Which didn't happen. Which doesn't happen. And I mean, I, I never want to sit there because uh, I'm smarter than you, Paul. No, I'm not. <laughs> but I, I, I never like to agree with you. You know, anyone that I'm, understands I'm, I'm our asking, dynamic. There's no but I will say, here. when I changed the fuel filter in the water separator, there was no wax. It was fuel. Right? I'm not. Yeah. yeah. It, but there is the mixed perception, I think, that guys do that. Now, I'm going to be very blunt here. In a scenario where the truck is gelled. And you can't or you will not be in an area where you can allow the truck to thaw out, which is the best way to fix this issue. Change the fucking filter. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But I did have the truck in a 70 degree room for a day and then I swapped it out just because of preventative maintenance. I hate my money. I like spending money on this stuff. I'm Listen, I'm cheap and I would go and buy a filter as opposed to a bottle of diesel 911. Right. That, that's just my opinion yeah. on it. If, if I could just drop a filter, throw a new filter on it, and just wait it out. Well, I mean, but if you wait it out, but then you have the lines that are going to be gelled up. There are more things going in there. Quite so there are scenarios. Absolutely. You know, there are scenarios. There are things that take place. But uh, nonetheless, I did it. When I dropped the filters, everything was fluid. There was no wax. There was no any buildup of any sort. Right. But I did it. It is what it is. It's done. You know. It's not. It's not an affordable mistake if you are wrong. No. Right? Exactly. Or, or yeah. It's not a, not it's not a couple thousand mistake, dollar right. set of injectors. Like, you know. Eh. It's it's forty bucks. Like. Uh, yeah. I've you know. spent more on less. Uh. Yes. <laughs> yes. All right. Uh, the other thing that I thought was really interesting out of this article was uh, biodiesels and vegetable oils are the same. Uh, my brother actually works at an R&D facility on biodiesel, uh, so I got to kind of verify some of this information against him. Uh, wh what the article says, a lot of folks believe these two fuels are very similar, but they aren't. 
first and foremost, a straight mix of either shouldn't be run through a factory fuel system. Biodiesel is too much of a solvent and too viscous, and vegetable oil is too viscous and corrosive. While a biodiesel blend is now present in most conventional diesel fuel at the pump, less than 20% can be found in it, hence the B20 compatibility ratings offered by the big three. Biodiesel can be made from vegetable oil and animal fats, but can also come from other natural materials such as soy, sunflower, algae, uh, just to name a few. Vegetable oil is best known as a waste cooking oil or grease, and due to this thick viscosity and corrosive nature, it typically requires things like upgraded lift pump, fuel filter, fuel lines, not to mention the need to preheat it before sending it through your engine. I bring all this up because as we look at the future of the diesel industry and things that are happening in the diesel industry, concepts like fuel and where we're going to get our fuel from and what's in the fuel also become an impact. Uh, So, Chris, you and I have been talking a lot offline recently about some of the developments with accessibility to exhaust systems. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you guys haven't heard... Uh, FlowPro is pretty much stepping out of the U.S. market or yep. forced out of the U.S. market, however you want to phrase that. Uh, we're hoping to get some details from them. I actually reached out to uh, one of their U.S. distributors to see yep. if they'd, they'd like to come on the show in the future and talk to us more about the details. But essentially, deleting your trucks is going to become harder. And as people look around for alternatives, I hear things uh, and I see things of people asking about biodiesel and other things like this. And what, what's the sulfur output going to be? And things of this nature you know if it was more sustainable to source the oil could the emissions be tolerated or all sorts of things around this nature um really what i see is is a lot of these things probably won't change we no. will continue to run on diesel fuel the, yep. just the way we see it now less than 20 percent uh bio right that, that, that's the most likely unless there's some sort of massive technology change in that market i think the technology change is going to be a big thing you know there's there's too many moving parts you know let's Cut the emissions out of the equation for a second here, and yep. let's just talk about the common rail injection system. Parts for the stuff is very expensive. When you're running on veggie oil and stuff, it's very hard on on parts. Um, well, so, the corrosive nature yeah, of right. either one of these running through high-pressure injection yeah. systems is a lot different than running it in a 12-valve. Well, that's what I was just going to say. You know, well, I ran this on my VP44 truck, or and I even wouldn't do that, but, oh, I ran this on my 12-valve, or I ran this on my 1990 TDI. That's sure. awesome. Keep doing that. You know what? Second <laughs> thought, let me buy the vehicle from you and let me do it, because that's awesome. Right, right, right. But when you start talking about, you know, LB7 Duramaxes and and just the common rail pre-emission trucks, it gets a little finicky. And then now, you know, fast forward to today's standards, I'm not going to say that there's more complication because there's just more technology. Now, someone would argue, well, if the technology is there, then they would figure this out. Well, it doesn't necessarily work that way. Yeah, yeah. There's there's got to be some sort of breakthrough to see that technology change. This article is this, uh, realistically six years old. Yeah. Um, so as we're looking at it just over the last six years, we haven't seen that big jump in right. biodiesel. We're still looking at less than 20% biodiesel in the fuel at right. the pump. Uh, it's great that it's there and things like that. But but we do have to start to consider what does the diesel performance industry look like. And I, I think a lot of the answers in that come back to using what we have. Right. Right. Taking the tools, taking the resources that are available and maximizing those to the be- to the best mm-hmm. benefit we can. Uh, one of the things with that is emissions equipped tuning. Right. Obviously near and dear to our hearts, right? Uh, yeah. Deal with it on a daily basis. <laughs> so, so we're into the emissions equipped tuning and not from a, a, a save the planet standpoint, to be honest with you. I, I don't know that you have any political 
political leanings in your life. Um, I certainly don't. I'm not political. I, I'm not going to talk <laughs> politics with anyone, not well, because I don't want to get into the debate because I'm not educated enough to even deal with it. Right. Both of us are, are more into trucks <laughs> than news, right? So yeah, that, that's just the yeah, way it is. You know, but I. I uh, and man. as we look at this, as we look at as we look at diesel trucks and we look at what happens three years, five years from now. If you can't delete your emissions and you still want to get six, seven, eight hundred horsepower like we talk about, we're seeing paths to get us there. Maybe not total solutions as of today, right? But we're seeing paths to get us there. Well, where I mean, we have six hundred and fifty horse emissions yeah. equipped. We know that's reasonable. Uh, yeah, um, I mean, we've we've created a pathway that we're a lot closer now than we were two years ago, four years ago, six years ago. Anything past six years ago, it was no man's land. You know, I mean, it just <laughs> sure. it wasn't there. You know, but when I get guys on the phone, you know, being in my role in the organization, and, and I get those rebuttals, I get it. You know, what everyone's entitled to their opinion. But these are the same free-spirited individuals that probably had problems or people alike when electronic fuel injection came into the gas world. <laughs> now, now look at demons and Hellcats and yeah. you know uh, Mercedes AMGs and you know the Porsche 911s, GTRs. You know all these crazy high horsepower cars making five, six, seven, eight hundred horsepower from the factory turnkey yeah. with all the emissions. You know and. People can look at us and say, oh, well, you know, the diesel, it's cool to delete. Yeah, you know what? It is cool. All right. You guys are right. It is cool. It's cool to have a loud sounding diesel because when I got into this, that's what I wanted. I was the guy, 12 valve, five inch exhaust, turn up the smoke screw, smoke people out when I was driving down the side of the road. I didn't care. I was also 18. You're so cool. I was, you know, <laughs> and then, you know, you adult, you get a little older and, uh, you know, I mean, you joke and laugh, but I mean, come on, man, you could take a, you could take a tally, right? And ask all these different guys that call in and that we get to work with. Yeah. There was a, an attraction to the diesel. Sure. And that those are the attractions. I don't care what you say. Those are the attractions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? I'm, I'm not now time time goes on. Now I use the truck somewhat for work. I tow maybe once here, once there. But I like the quietness. Yeah. You know, I do. But that I think that comes with age. And you run into a lot of guys, too. Well, I had an LBZ or I had an LMM and it was all done up and had an exhaust and it was deleted and it was this, it was that. You know, uh, I got a 16 or now, you know, with the new L5P support that I've been working with customers on, that's been crazy, crazy receptive. But there, the technology is there for us to take a truck, emissions equipped, tune it, have it operate and, and work very similar to how an emissions off truck would run. Whether it's the seat of the pants feel, throttle response, EGT control, general horsepower and torque output, that's not even a comparison. We're right there. Yeah. You know? But that's taken years of investing time, money, resources, taking a step back in an industry that was so delete, delete, delete to look at now. You know, I don't want to bash any company or anything like that, but you know, one of the main distributors for FlowPro said, listen, we're done. FlowPro isn't getting exhaust systems into the U.S. There's these things that are going on now because there is a change. And yeah. I don't care. It's not because of the president. It's not because of the lack of funding in the EPA. Right. It's just this is the move forward. This is this is the future. Yeah, this is where the industry's going. And, and, th and that's that's where I say is I feel more and more confident as I see this happening where I know it, it can be scary for a lot of people out there. We do. We as enthusiasts do still have options. You, you know, we do still have 
Fords we can drive at over 550 horsepower. Yep. LMLs over 500 horsepower. Cummins you can do over 500 horsepower. Yep. So, so you can go to any big diesel truck and be over 500 horsepower with some pretty simple modifications. And you can and you can retain the factory emissions equipment. And then you can take some of those platforms and still add badass twin turbo kits. Where when you're in the cab of the truck, you hear the atmospheric turbo whine screaming every day. Yeah. <laughs> Every day I deal with it. Like, you know how nice it is pulling into my neighborhood and you cruise and you just hear the S400. It's, it's badass. It puts a smile on my face, right? I just I also don't have to smell the shit when it's dry, when it's running in my garage. Yeah. So yeah. score. No, it is. It, it, it's interesting. And and one of the things as we talk about innovation, I think back to us being the the, the official podcast of of the Ultimate Callout Challenge. Yeah. We're seeing a lot of innovation over there, yeah. especially as we come into 2018. We know that there's some new changes coming up. Uh, we know that there's a lot of tough competitors. We know that Levon, let's just let's just call it out. Levon stepped out. Uh, yeah. He won't be there this year. We're going to have him on in the future to talk yeah. a little bit more about that. But right now, I think the biggest name in the Ultimate Callout Challenge competitor arena has got to be Derek Rose and and one of the things that I want to touch on D Rose you know we're gonna get into this you know as, as, as we do this but he was a guy that tried to uh, make an old dinosaur techno technologically advanced you know he did a common rail 12 valve yeah, yeah yeah you know it's just like it's shit like that you know what that, I mean? That is, it's, it's cool. that type of innovation yeah. that that we're always seeing drive this industry from the from the top all the way down mm -hmm. to the bottom, guys. Uh, but hey, let's let's stop jaw jacking and bring him on, Derek Rose. How the hell are you? Oh, doing pretty good. Just the uh, end of the day here at the shop. Kind of got all the customer stuff done and thrashing on the racetrack. Oh, I love it. Okay, get that uh, get that paying work out of the way, and then uh, go work on the shit you already broke, right? <laughs> we know how it goes. We know how it goes. Now, Derek, uh, for our newer listeners who maybe haven't heard you on the podcast before, we wanted to talk a little bit about your history in diesel performance in general. So maybe even before UCC, how'd you get started in this industry? Um, I kind of got involved when it was booming back in, you know, like 2007, eight. It's pretty much when I started the company and we were just doing it for fun and, um, and it just jumped on the bandwagon. I mean, EFI Live was just just touching, touching like the Dodge stuff with O sixes, and we just started playing around. And ten years later of uh, breaking stuff and figuring out what works and what don't, and here we are. I love it, man. I love it. Okay, yeah. So you've been in the, doing this for over a decade now. Uh, a lot of experience with racing. A lot of experience with with being around these high horsepower trucks. Tell me about the progression of power you've seen over the last ten years. I mean, ten, I mean, just in the past five years, it went it went crazy. Ten years, I mean, good lord, it was, you know, if you were like five hundred horsepower, six hundred horsepower, <laughs> you were you were king shit ten years ago. You know, in the street aspect, <laughs> obviously, obviously the mechanical guys have been making power for years. You know, in the competition, but. Sure. Street stuff has just it's come a long way. I mean, um, you know, you went from just basic box tuners from your you know, your just your your edge stuff and your bully dogs, uh, you know, making really good power to you know full on custom tuning with pretty much an endless supply of performance parts that you can you know basically shop on like shopping at Walmart and you get you know thousand horse combos uh, <laughs> at your doorstep. 
Absolutely, man. Uh, it, it has been pretty crazy, as we've seen over the over the, even just the last five years, Chris, that you've been around Duramax Tuner. Uh, how do you feel the difference has been in the street trucks uh, since you started and now? It's pretty... Uh, Derek touched on, you know, Walmart-style, like, cookie-cutter setups, things like that. I mean, it's... Uh, five, six years ago, you know, to, to have a 700-horse street truck was kind of unheard of. And then every year it's like that envelope gets pushed. And, I mean, we've had trucks leave the shop here making 11, 1,200-wheel horsepower that you could drive on the street and have really good street manners. Um, our Suburban, really good example of that. So yeah. I think it's just, you know, tuning has advanced. Uh, technology has advanced with turbochargers. Let's face it, turbochargers are what makes drivability a potential, you know. so Common rail injection yeah, along with that, know, yeah. Tuning and turbos and, are... I mean, just, just the audience, I mean, there, you know, has grown, you know, in the following and money, right? Money's driven, you know, <laughs> yeah. a lot of our industry. And, I mean, you know, a lot of people have just, they just, you know, like spending money and kind of what it takes to make things go fast. No, I mean, and I think, you know, the, the going fast, you know, that that's the uh, innovation, right? Th that That's what drives the industry. And as the vehicles are able to make more power because companies are making the money because enthusiasts are investing money into their own trucks to aspire to have something it gives companies out there you know even such as like what i do or what we do at our shop it gives us the ability to say okay well we can make this type of power well now what do we have to do to scale things back to put in a street application right you know so it, it all works full circle like what the ucc does and is helps us <laughs> yeah and, and that's that's really where i wanted to drive this conversation is seeing how the top of the line uh, you know, I thought it was interesting, Derek, before we called you today. I went back now uh, for the listeners who, who, again, who don't know. Derek's been at all of the UCCs. Yeah. Uh, since 2016, he's been competing in this challenge. Uh, he, he's always been on the podium. He's really killed it here. Made a lot of innovations. Now, does that mean that we're going to find a bunch of centerline drive all billet 12 valve had you know, all billet block 12 valve had well, common rail injection trucks that. derek were you were you a common rail 12 valve setup last year for 2018 no we went back you we went, back. went back normal stuff. Okay. all right so we'll kind of dive into that but i get what you're saying yeah we're, we're not seeing the exact builds come out of ucc trucks and go into street trucks but what we're seeing is that as the top of the envelope get got pushed past mm -hmm. 2000 horsepower all of a sudden there's this whip effect where yeah. now the guys down the line who have smaller horsepower goals, it becomes just so much more and more feasible. Yeah. Um, so I want to talk about that. So kind of walk our, our audience here through. Uh, back in 2016, what did the UCC look like? So 2016 was what, Salt Lake, right? It was yes, it. you got it. So um, it was, you know, for competitor-wise, we are all, I know, um, like, LeVon built a brand-new truck. I had a truck. We were all, we all kind of going towards the racing aspect. And then when uh, the promoters of UCC kind of started contacting us competitors in late, pretty much late November, it was kind of a Hail Mary, like, oh, my God, like, now we have to make our drag trucks, you know, uh, pull a sled because uh, that's one of the, you know, <laughs> one, of the comp, one of the events. So that, like, I had a whole game plan all set out to, uh, you know, do over the winter, and everything was changed, right? Because now, I mean, you're constantly battling. I got to pull a 30,000-pound sled down in the dirt. So 
that was something to you know to battle with. And then I think everyone just kind of showed up for the very first year. Um, I would say a lot of people maybe unprepared. I would say ninety percent of the people uh, were all drag trucks that have never pulled, flood pulled in their life. So that was just something to uh, you know that caught people off guard. And then it, then the conditions were a bit muddy and. Um, Dino-wise, I mean, there was talks. I mean, shit, 2016, it was like, oh, we're going to hit 3,000 horse. We're going to hit 3,000 horse. <laughs> I mean, they were still not even there four years later. Um, I think that was a big eye-opener. Um, we had some pretty good, you know, we broke 2,000 on the dyno. Uh, I think four other guys did. I think uh, Rudy, Ryan, Sean, and LeVon. Maybe there was five. I think five of us broke 2,000 horse. Um, and that was huge, right? Um and honestly, we've all kind of been stuck around those numbers, um, you know, for the past couple of years. There really hasn't been anything that's, you know, been over 2,500 horsepower on, on the dyno. Uh, that's kind of, we've all been, we've all, I think we've been able to make the power since then, but trying to keep things together has been the, been the fight, right? Splitting blocks, you know, breaking cranks, you know, transmissions are always, you know, the epitome of, of of the sport you know behind anything that's making a lot of power so i think it's i think we innovated fast on making power um but it's just you know the battle of trying to make the power efficiently by changing turbo size different turbines i mean all kinds of all kinds of little things just trying to to make what we maybe knew back then better okay sure sure no i mean that makes sense i mean do, do I want to say we're at our limit? Absolutely no. not. I think somebody will come out. No. They'll hit the 3,000 horsepower. I don't know what year or what setup that'll be, of course. But this is how competition and technology goes. Well, I mean, that, I, We were seeing it in the racing field by itself as well. With last, season, last year, new records being set, it felt like almost every event. Well, I think what's crazy, too, you know, you look at it, you look at the setups, you know, triple turbo in 2016, 2017, and then 2018 rolls out, and guys are going back. You know that had triples going back to compounds, or some guys that were at compounds going to singles. Am I right, Derek? I mean, we're seeing that there's some yeah. different yeah. scenarios that take place to to achieve what what it is that these guys are after. Yep, no, hundred percent. Like we've we've been playing around the single turbo. We already went out once this year playing around the single turbo and with a new chassis, and it's just uh, obviously for making the power. Um, you know, we can make a bunch of power with a single turbo and a lot of nitrous, but. Um, you know, in this game that we play on, uh, you know, horsepower and torque is added together to, you know, get the, to, for the overall winner, it's hard to make a bunch of torque on a single turbo. No, you're going to um, lose, we, you know, you're going to lose on the torque to make up the horsepower where yeah. if you go into compound, exactly. you're not going to have the big, you're, let's face it, you're going to have a big horsepower number, um, but it's not going to be as big, but then you're going to make it up in the torque. Yep, exactly. So it's a, it's, it's a fine line of what you know, what you want to try to accomplish. Absolutely. And I think the other thing that we've seen growing or, or kind of changing throughout the years of UCC is the level of competition and how tightly packed you guys are. Uh, as I was looking out at a spread for just like the points total for UCC in 2016, uh, from you, Derek, to the top of the pile in 2016, a 463-point difference. Yeah. So kind of a big spread there. And after that, it really drops off, and guys are, are really far out. Uh, but that is, we go into 2017, 
first to third place, there's less than 150 points. Actually, you away from first place is only 49 points. And even last year, as I look at the top three competitors, uh, less than 150 point difference. Derek, again, you're only 113 points away from winning. Uh, it, this group seems to be really tight, but we're also watching new faces come in uh, as the UCC qualifier right. bracket brings in new competition every year. New guys are there to fight through this mm -hmm. and to, to try to push out. How do you think that impacts somebody like you with three years experience, three game plans? You, you know, you've done this, you've been there. Uh, do you think you, you got more of an eye on somebody like Sean Baca or maybe like um, who's some of the other competitors, Wade Minter, who's done really good? Yeah. Or or are you watching the qualifiers who have really had to kind of scrap it out, somebody like T-Pain or, you know, that Trevor that's coming up and self-funded and things like that? Yeah, I mean, we got – we have our eye on, on everybody, right? Like I – you can't just focus on, uh, on you know, one person that – you try not to worry about too many people. Like, you know, like I focused on trying to, you know, just better my position from the year prior, better my, you know, what I wanted to do better in each event. And then instead of focusing, like, a lot on what other people are doing. So, but you're always, you know, wondering, like, you know where each person's strong point is. Um, do I see a, somebody coming that we don't have our eye on, no, but I don't really, I mean, I don't really have the time to uh, to focus on, you know, a lot of people, what they're doing, just because we're so busy in our shop and everything that's going on, but... Sure. Um, I, and I, I also feel what we've been doing, you know, like LeVon, myself, Sean, um, Wade, you know, a lot of the top five guys, and even Donovan, you know, a lot of the people that are, you know, that maybe did really good in one area, They, can, I think we laid a really good foundation. They can kind of see what we're doing, and, you know, it, it's not really a big secret of, uh, you know, what we're doing in a lot of the different ways. I think just people have to look at setups, you know, where your hitch is at or how you're on the dyno or how you're hitting the dyno, things like that. And then um, just a lot of luck. I mean, at the end of the day, you go into a competition like that, it, it's just a luck. I mean, I had... Every year, you know, where we do the where we should be our strongest, we've been the weakest. You know, our drag racing has suffered every year. Um, if we would have done good on the drag strip last year, we would have probably damn well won it. But we didn't, so it just the way it goes. Sure. So I mean, let let let's just go into it. Is this your year? Like, are you going into this? Well, you know, twenty nineteen. Like, be, you know, I'll be I'll be flat honest. We're when we kind of agreed to go, it was based on. Um, on Levon going and him pulling out and I understand his way, you know, he's got some family stuff going on, a kid getting born and just, you know, business things. It's, it's kind of a bummer for me, um, going into it, not having the defending champion there. It's, uh, I don't know. It's almost, uh, took a little bit of wind out of my sail, but I kind of hunkered down and said, you know what? We already invested a lot of money and time and making changes to the truck. And again, I'm just going to go there and not worry about who else is there. I, I really wanted to better, my score um, that I've done, you know, the past two years, and uh, I want to just—I want to go there and beat myself, and then whatever yeah. happens, happens. That's a really good outlook. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about your plans of how how you uh, want to see yourself accomplishing that. Yeah. So, what are the things you're doing this year to improve upon last year's score? Which, by the way, your score has come up significantly every year, at least by a hundred points. Twenty-four seventy-one at the end of last year. That's a combined total of the. 
uh, points awarded throughout the event. So the points are awarded based on how everybody else did. It's essentially a bell curve. Um, yeah. But but you you have been growing every year. We've heard uh, from several people, competitors and organizers. You're the guy who has his own points catalog or points <laughs> spreadsheet in in the truck, uh, figuring things out yeah. in the pit before, while the competition is going on. Uh, what's your game yeah. plan this year? What are you going to do? So this year, if um, you guys haven't, you know, you're making the listeners aware the we as the competitors um, voted in, we are going to go actually drag racing this year. So every year it's been boring side-by-side passes, um, you know, kind of boring for the fans, and you're boring if you're a racer. Um, so this year the, the drag racing portion is going to be split 50-50. So we're going to actually do our time trials just like going racing. Uh, it'd probably be single passes, you know, um, and your fastest time of the day, no matter when you, if you're racing or if you're doing time trials, will count for 50% of your score for drag racing. And then your uh, overall position when we go uh, racing will count for your other 50%. Um, so my goal there is to just go out and, um, and we're also going to eighth mile racing, if you guys didn't know or your listeners didn't know. Um, so that's going to be fun. And I just plan on going out and, doing my thing i mean i don't know i know there's a couple other faster trucks but i think it's going to be really close um because the weather's always can make things interesting the track's usually a bit cold so um you know what you do on a 70 degree day in a nice prep track might not be the same on a 50 degree track that hasn't (laughs) had a bunch of time into it over the season so just so drag now, just to follow up here, for some of the listeners, um, Paul included, as you were talking, he's looking in the space. So half of the, the race, <laughs> sorry, Paul, half of the race is going to be like it was last year, right? You're, you're going for a time. Except and eighth then, mile. Yep. Right, in, in yeah. eighth mile. And then the second half of the race is more or less proving if you're the better driver. You know, you could have the fastest truck in the world, uh, high horsepower truck, but you have, uh, you have to out-tree the guy next to you, out-60-foot the guy next to you. Yep. Uh, so now for the racing. right for the racing so now you're getting a mix of both sides of this yeah i really like this addition yeah. uh what we've seen in the past is guys come up to the line and you, you know you could take a second or you could take a year to spool up yep. and, and get the truck dialed yep. in and get it set up just the way you want it and then tear off down the line that's helped some guys and hurt some guys yeah. i think uh it is really interesting it, to put this into a, a, a dual purpose event yeah. i think it'll also make friday a lot more interesting oh, absolutely yeah it's Absolutely, like, and that's what I mean. I go, I look at like, because I've I've really been I don't want to say a part or I've helped them. We're trying to make the competition better, so I'm I'm pretty vocal, maybe more vocal than I should in some some aspects. <laughs> but um, you know, I look at it like if I'm a spectator, like I don't want to go sit up in the stands and freeze my ass off if it's cold and watch you know single lane passes. Like you know, the guys need to be prepared. Um, to go racing, and that's what, you know, most of the trucks are drag trucks. So if, you know, people don't know how to go racing, they need to, you know, they need to learn and we need to figure it out and, and keep it interesting for the fans. Well, it's interesting. So, and then... Go ahead. And then we split it, we split the competition up so that way, because, like, you know, to make it fair, like, Sean Baca, like, he's an outstanding competitor, like, you know, one of the best trucks out there. He's not going to drag race well. We know that. He knows that. And it's, I mean, he's got one of the bigger, biggest, heaviest trucks there, but he's also making the most power. So it's trying to make it fair, right? Like, right. you know, we can't just make it 100% drag racing. we got to make it fair for, for them as well. 
I think one of the interesting things here is we've talked throughout the years, what's the difference between UCC and DPC? So yeah. Ultimate Callout Challenge and Diesel Power Challenge. And Diesel Power Challenge, we've said it's all about the driver. The driver and his team have to have that truck set up the right way. Yes. But that competition is testing really the driver mm -hmm. um, or the truck owner, I guess, is probably the better way to put it, right? Because a good truck owner would know how to fix their truck and set and up UCC their truck. UCC now is kind of incorporating that same mindset. UCC is, is now thinking, so do, does the same person who drives at the drag race also have to sled pull? Um, no, they changed, they changed the rule. Like, Well, it's kind of been a floating rule, not one I'm a fan of. Like, The truck follows the point. The driver doesn't. Right. So you can have a different driver. But I don't know. I mean, most every every owner-operator owns the truck and wants to operate it for the most part. You know what I mean? So yeah. I don't really know if we'll see that much this year. Um, in the years past, I think we've seen a couple guys switching. But, um, you know, I unfortunately for most guys, like myself, like I'm the best driver, and I feel I'm the best person to be working on the truck when it breaks. Right. But you know it's it's a lot of it's a lot of stress you know because you got to have your crew and you know you can't be wrenching and doing everything and trying to be focused on driving too. That's what we, where we struggled a bit last year. So gotcha, gotcha. Okay, um, what are your plans for changing the truck over from each one of the events? What kind of modifications do you plan on doing at UCC? Um, so, like, so we touched on the drag racing portion, so the dyno will be on Saturday. Um, we won't make too many changes. Like, we're, like I said, we're testing right now a single turbo for drag racing. Um, if we can get our times where we want them and the truck's happy, I will probably leave the single on. We got two or three more test sessions for that. Um, we designed a new turbo, triple turbo setup where we can pretty much put it on in about a half hour. So we can go oh. from single turbo to triples in probably less than a half hour. Wow. Um, it's really easy. I, so okay. we'll, we'll definitely have the triple turbos on for dynoing. Um, obviously, we kind of got our own little nitrous setup that I'm not really sharing because <laughs> it works well. And um, obviously, different tires, wheels for the dyno, uh, suspension stops, things like that will be set up for the dyno. And then pretty much after the dyno, it's a hell merry probably we're going to be working all night to get things switched over for the sled pull this year because of us you know we cut the truck in half and fully back half it and made it more of a drag racing truck so it's going to take some work we got to change ring and pinion swap rear axle <clears throat> weight box i mean there's I don't even want to talk about it. This so you're you're following you're following what Levon was doing, you know, year two back. You know, you have a back half truck now, so there's a lot of driveline things that need to be swapped over to even consider hooking it to a trailer just to support the weight. Yeah, and it's, you know we don't want to. We overbuilt the back half in preparation of doing the sled pull, so we kind of built it. I don't have my sled pull set up done. We have it kind of drawn up, and it's in my head and in my guy's head. We know what we want to do. And that's kind of how we built the back half a little bit stronger than if it was going normal, just drag racing. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's there's there's quite a bit, quite a bit going to be you know swapping over. And the thing with the touching on the flood pole, we also voted in um, one one pole this year. So you get you get one time to figure it out, and that's it. Um, no no two poles. Oh wow. 
that's a big so, change. A little bit of a change there. I don't know if everyone's going to be happy about it, but the thing was, there was no fair way to score it. So if you look at last year, the track was perfect when Levon went out. Like, it was never better. And then it totally went to shit from, you know, by the time that a lot of us uh, went. It turned, you know, there were there some holes, this, that, and the other. It was dry and dusty, yada, yada. So I believe, I don't know if it's set in stone, we are going to have one pull. Your top five guys in points are going to pull out of a separate bin. We're going to draw. So that way the top five guys are actually pulling on a near similar track because sled pulling, you know, the track changes tremendously from the first hook to the, to the 30th hook. Right. So to make that fair, um, you know, or and then touching back with the two poles. So let's just say like last year, track was turned out great, first couple hooks, and it went downhill. Well, then Mother Nature come out and dumped two inches of rain. Well, then the track went to hell. So Levon went out 340 feet, right, first hook, and everyone just kept stacking up back. Well, redid the track, redid everything. I go out, had a hell of a pull. We went like 305. There was no way, like, there was no way we were going to pull as far as what Levon did, even if we had the power and everything was working right because the track was way different. It was tighter. Um, it was muddy. And it was, you know, so how do you score that um, if it's scored off of, you know, feet when you have two different runs, right? So that's why we just said, screw it. Sled pulling's always been one and done. You have your shit together, and you go out and you make it, you make it work. I, I definitely like that idea. I mean, just to give the listeners some insight here and how much the points make a difference. Last year, Levon, 329.8. He pulled 864 points out of that. Uh, Derek, 301.25. He pulled 778 points out of that. So uh, it, it, roughly 80-point difference yeah. um, in just 28 feet, Jeez. right? So, like, there, there is a big difference. And when, when you're looking at between first and second place, there's only a 113-point total difference. Those 80 points, th- that could be a winning or losing pull, yeah. right? Like, that, that could be the difference uh, as you start to put those days together. And that's how important it is the, that, that we're in a bell curve. I, I can see the idea of bringing the top five guys who's got the most likely chance at pulling this, uh, pulling this off as the years go on and that that group gets tighter and tighter right. i can see that guy sitting in sixth place being really worried oh for sure right because yeah. even if you're six or if you're in the eighth place and there's again there's only a 200 point difference between whatever number of people right it, like you said um now we have also seen tracks get better as the night goes on so what happens if the weather yeah, flips well, and the first five go out and they get the shit track and the guy in fifth place he potentially is getting the best i mean there's no way to control this completely right no, and that, well, you know, and, you know, and it's not the promoter's fault on UCC at all, but it was just like the track was baking all day and nobody was putting any water down. So I'm hoping, you know, and I'll probably stay on some of the promoters a little bit helping, like, you know, we need to have somebody back there watering and, and making sure the track's good, you know, paying attention. Like, that's their job to make sure that track's good. And, you know, if you got to, we got to do a little track prep in between, like, try to keep the track as fair as possible and not just let it go to hell that way that way everybody has you know pretty much the same chance yeah gotcha 
Absolutely. Well, hey, Derek, we definitely appreciate you joining our show and talking to the listeners. I know Chris and I and our producer, Justin, are really, really excited about going out and being the official podcast of Ultimate Callout Challenge. We're excited for the DPI Expo. Yeah, no, I'll continue. And, and uh, we, we just want to give you an opportunity here. Anybody you want to give a shout out to? Um, just the guys that have been, you know, behind us forever. We got uh, BD Diesel um, has been pretty much the number one backer of us for <clears throat> for the longest time. Uh, Hardway Performance, uh, Police Performance, Freedom Engine Racing, uh, Trend, Diamond, um, SNS. We got CCI Driveline. They're right next door. I mean, they do all our drive shafts for us. Um, I got Frank's Transmission. They help me, you know, we pretty much repair all the drive shafts, or not the drive shafts, the transmissions, you know, on a weekly basis when we're racing. Um, Dynamite Diesel, uh, they've come on board helping us on some of our uh, fueling for the injector side. Uh, it's just a big, you know, plethora of people that make this, uh, make it happen. So you can't, you can't do it without them. That's awesome, man. Well, thank you so much. And listeners for today, this has been Paul Wilson. Chris Emke. Thanks for listening. The Diesel Performance Podcast is brought to you by Calibrated Power Solutions, home of DuramaxTuner.com. Calibrated Power develops emissions-equipped calibrations for a wide variety of diesel powertrains, including the Duramax, Cummins, Powerstroke, John Deere, Case, New Holland, and many more. For more information and great customer service, check out CalibratedPower.com or call 815-568-7920. That's 815-568-7920. And you cruise and you just hear the S400. It's badass. It puts a smile on my face.